This is Tim, the lead pastor of Mosaic Portland, and welcome to Mosaic Portland Podcast. We exist to follow Jesus in authentic community for the world. And right now we're gathering Sundays online to worship together and to open up scripture together. And then after that, we have virtual house gatherings that meet all over our city. And the great thing about these is that you can actually join in wherever you're listening. I think these right now are the best way to be known, to connect with others. Where we pray together on Sundays in smaller communities. We take communion together and we read what the Bible is about in the scripture. If you want to find out more information on how to be a part of the season, you can find out more information on the website. Now let's go to scripture together as we listen to So good to be with you. My name is Tim. I'm lead pastor at Mosaic, and today we are starting a, a new series. We're calling it Resurrection People, a Church Like Jesus. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, followers of Jesus all around the globe uh, took Easter Sunday to focus on and celebrate the reality that, that Jesus Christ was crucified, he was buried, he conquered death and rose again, and humanity has forever been different. The world has forever been different. And for the next number of months, couple months, uh, we're going to look at what it means to be the people who are shaped by the resurrection. Uh, another way to say it is that to people that are shaped by Jesus, that our lives are shaped more than anything else by who Jesus is and, and what he's done. Paul said it in, in this way in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Listen, listen to this sentence by, by Paul, a man who was completely and radically transformed after meeting Jesus. Jesus knocked him off of his horse shone a light on him, and Paul's life was forever different. He, he writes this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's, that's dramatic words. That's like life statement, life purpose, like vision type of words. I'm, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but my life is now Christ. My entire existence and understanding, the breath in my lungs, what I think about, what I'm passionate about, where my life is headed is completely shaped by the resurrected Jesus. That Paul considers his life done and reborn, resurrected, started over because of Jesus. And Paul demonstrates that throughout his life. But that's such a great place for us to start as we look at this, because um, I, I believe that we find ourselves, and I think many of us actually have uh, seen this, experienced this, maybe even in personal conversations. The reality that we live in today is that there's a great discrepancy between who the world associates Christians and followers of Christ with compared with who Jesus actually is. That as the world looks at the church today, they, they don't assume and see and know a lot of people who, who say what Paul said, that my life is, is gone and it's been restarted, it's been reborn, it's been resurrected to be and look more and more like Jesus. That we live in this time where there's a, a growing disconnect between who the world sees as followers of Jesus and who Jesus really is and who he wants his followers to, to look like and to be. See, as followers of Jesus, Jesus has chosen to, to work in and through us for the good of the world. And that, 
that has been lost throughout history. I, th I think it might be helpful for us to maybe take, I, I haven't timed myself on this, but um, let's try this. Let's call this uh, church history in 90 seconds or less. You can start the stopwatch if you want. Church history in 90 seconds or less. Jesus rises from the dead, absolutely kind of freaks out his first followers. They thought he was dead. They were, they were crushed. They were hiding. They feared for their lives. Jesus shows up, reveals himself to them, and then says in the first verses of the book of Acts, he says, hey, I'm, I'm coming. I've come back. I'm, I'm alive. I'm here. And I'm calling you to be a certain kind of people, to be a resurrection people so that the world may know me because I'm not staying with you, I'm leaving, but I'm sending somebody with you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. And they were still trying to wrap their minds around everything that had happened. And then the Holy Spirit shows up about 40 days later and the church starts. That's the beginning of church history. And there's this little group of people, several dozen to start with, that over the next 300 years actually come to the place where the ruler of the known world, Constantine says, it's okay. This to be a Christian. You don't have to, to hide. You don't have to worry about persecution any longer. It's okay to be a Christian. And there's a lot of different elements going on that he's not saying necessarily that he's a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of debate about that, but he says it's okay to be a Christian. And kind of it's the national religion or at least one of them at that time in Constantinople. In 300 years, the world knows the name of Jesus. And then over the number of next centuries, things kind of go sideways. We're going to fast forward through a lot of church history and get to church history just in our nation, in America. And today we feel and experience this disconnect between who Jesus is and who the, who the church is called to be as resurrection people. A church that actually looks like Jesus and is known for Jesus. And we know some of the history of our own nation and why this could be. And some of the first people that helped start our nation did it with a in the name of Jesus, that they wanted to come and experience religious freedom and to follow Jesus in our land, on this land. And, and yet even some of their first behavior didn't look like Jesus would look if he was actually doing that. And they started once good things. And even if you look at the beginning of our founding country, there were a number of people who were followers of Jesus that wrote our original documents and, and fought to free and start a nation. And there are some really good things about that, of being followers of Christ. And then there's also some really bad things. There's some really good things at the beginning stages of our country, at the beginning of education, the beginning of healthcare, because of followers of Jesus. And at the same time, the beginning of slavery was also done in the name of Jesus too often. And in early churches in our country, there's either theologies developed to, to differentiate people and their value and their place in society based on the color of their skin. And so while there is some good, there's certainly some evil in the midst of the early church in our nation. And today even, we struggle with this disconnect of how people associate the name of Jesus. And we know and we've seen in the tragic scene in the first month of, of this year, the attack on the Capitol, and that people were actually standing outside proclaiming the name of Jesus. And Jesus has nothing to do with that. And so it's no wonder for that and many other reasons that go on in our nation today that the resurrection people that Jesus is calling you and I to is often not who the world sees and who our nation sees and people who don't know who Jesus really is associate followers of Christ with. There is a disconnect. And if I can use another word that I think is bubbling up in me for sure right now, and I hope more and more of us, is a, a discontent that that is not okay. That Jesus is calling us to be his hands and feet in the world today and that we're to be known by him. And over the next number of weeks, what I want us to do is to look at the life of Jesus and how Jesus lived and how we can look more like him. And there's things that Jesus is known for, his generosity, 
his self-sacrifice, the way that he was hospitable to virtually everyone he came in contact with, aside from some religious leaders that were using his father and the Old Testament in ways that abused other people. That Jesus actually lived in a rhythm in his own life that created rest and margin in his life. That Jesus was merciful. That Jesus was gentle and kind. A lot of these words and these descriptions are not things that the followers of Christ today in our nation in particular embody and demonstrate. And so what if they did? What if we looked more like Jesus? We as individuals, as we live our lives and go to work, as we are married and single, as we raise kids and as we don't raise kids, as we uh, are busy and on vacation, as we work and as we are on hobbies, whatever we're doing, wherever we're doing it, that we look more and more like Jesus. What if that happened, that when people saw and encountered us, they were ex experiencing those things that, that Jesus embodied when he lived and breathed and walked this earth in Galilee some 2,000 years ago? That's what we're going to look at over the next number of weeks. And what I want to look at briefly today is one thing that maybe is missed when we read through the life of Jesus and we get familiar with him that I think we can begin to take on and pursue right now. One thing that, that uh, if we don't start with this one thing, our opportunity and our chances and the likelihood that we actually would become more like Jesus will, will be missed. See, as we look at the life of Jesus and as we follow him through this, every, every key moment in his life, there's something that is mentioned in, our, in the New Testament as we read about Jesus that shows up that, that maybe you've missed. And so I want to I wanna put it in front of us today. And it's this, that Jesus partnered with and relied on the Holy Spirit. And we see that at every key moment throughout his life. At every key moment throughout the, the Holy Spirit shows up. And at the very beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we find and we're told that Mary, Jesus' mother, conceived him by the Holy Spirit, that she never slept with Joseph, and that an angel had to show up to Joseph and say, no, don't, don't break up with your fiance. She's not pregnant by another man. This miraculous thing happened, which again, I can't imagine being in Joseph's shoes at that moment. But we find in Matthew chapter one, verse 18, and then again in verse 20, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So right at conception, this theological big word of incarnation of God taking on flesh happened because of the Holy Spirit. The next key moment in Jesus' life in the book of Matthew is, is his baptism. That John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And there is this beautiful scene in chapter 3, verse 16, where the Spirit of God descends on Jesus that looked like a dove. Right there, the Holy Spirit at the baptism of Jesus. And then next, we, we read in Luke chapter 4 that, that Jesus is, is led by the Holy Spirit into the desert for 40 days and doesn't eat, fasts, and is tempted by Satan, but is led by the Holy Spirit. And as he returns in the, the end of that scene in, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit was with Jesus through that tempting experience. And we, we can all hear in that that we're all tempted, and so was Jesus. Our Savior was tempted, and, and he models for us how to handle temptation, but it was through the power of the Spirit. The next thing in the book uh, that, that we read is that uh, in, in Luke chapter 4 is that Jesus steps up and reads scripture. It's in the book of Isaiah, but he steps up in the synagogue when they're gathered there and he reads Isaiah. And the first words from Isaiah that he reads is this, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Luke chapter 4 verse 18. He's reading from Isaiah and declaring his reality that the spirit of God is on him at that moment. 
The miracles he does in Luke, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, he says he drives out demons because of the Spirit of God is on him. And later on, we have Peter preaching in Acts chapter 10, and he refers back to the life of Jesus and saying Jesus did all these miracles in the power of the Spirit. And then we have the most critical and crucial moment in the life of Jesus, his resurrection. And we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is on us, then we have the power of God with us. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead, which is the Holy Spirit, is on us. That the Holy Spirit helped raise Jesus from the dead at every key moment. And John chapter 3, verse 34, actually says that, that God gave to Jesus the Spirit without limit or without measure. That the Spirit of God was with Jesus. The Holy Spirit was one that Jesus partnered with and relied on. And so if we're to be resurrection people, if we're to become individuals and churches that rely and look like Jesus more and more, it's not going to become, it's not going to happen because we're particularly disciplined. It's not going to happen because we realize and understand intellectually something new. It's not going to happen because we have a new strategy, a new way of being the church. It's going to happen as it did with, for Jesus more than anything else because of the power of the Spirit. And as Jesus partnered with, relied on, depended on the Holy Spirit that they worked in partnership, we're called to the same thing. Listen to this in, in the book of Acts. And Acts is, is often referred to as Acts of the Holy Spirit. But it tells the story of the church being born soon after Jesus uh, resurrected, spent 40 days with his disciples and ascended back into heaven. And then we have the Holy Spirit coming and the church being born. Listen to these words as, as the book of Acts starts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So there it is, Jesus again teaching through the, the Holy Spirit to, the, to his first apostles, his first friends, his disciples. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is how the disciples responded. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they're asking him in that moment, are you going to make us prominent again as Jewish men, as the Jewish nation, as the Jewish people? Are you going to make us prominent again right now? Is our kingdom going to be established in, in ways that, that other humans and other people and other ethnicities, other nations can measure? Are you going to make us strong and independent again? They were asking about their nation. And Jesus, you, you missed the point. That's not what it's about. It's not going to happen like that again. That's not my kingdom. He says this, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to give you a gift from my Father. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. In fact, you're to wait and not move forward, not step forward, not step out until you've experienced the Holy Spirit, until the 
Holy Spirit has come and empowered you. And you're to live lives that partner with and rely on the Holy Spirit, just like I live, Jesus is saying. And I, this isn't only for your own personal benefit. Because right after he says you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, he says, and you're to be my witnesses. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit for a purpose. We're called to rely on the Holy Spirit because God wants to do something not just in but through us for the world around us. We are to be witnesses. We're actually supposed to look like people. We're to look like a church that resembles Jesus. Jesus' intention was that people would look at us and see him, not see us. And we can't do that in our own power. And in fact, when we try to do it on our own power, we fail miserably. It doesn't go well. And I want to be careful with this, but we know something. As we live and breathe in our world today, as we live and breathe, and particularly in the Portland, Vancouver metro area, we know that our culture the world around us, the city around us, the culture around us is not trending toward Christ-likeness. It's not drawn to Jesus. It's not looking more like Jesus. And all of the things that Jesus embodied, generosity, sacrifice, hospitality, gentleness, kindness, mercy, forgiveness, a rhythm of balance of rest and work and life, all of those things, that's not where our culture is heading. It's actually trending away from Jesus. And one of the indicators of that is the number of people who are saying, I, I, don't, I don't follow Jesus. I don't follow any sort of religion or even spirituality. I'm, I'm constantly shifting to what I believe, and they describe themselves as nuns, not N-U-N like a nun in a, in a uh, Catholic church, but nun, N-O-N-E. I don't associate, I don't identify, I don't follow any particular belief or religion or faith. That's where our culture is going. It's, it's a post-Christian culture that we live in. We know that because we live and breathe here, right? We know that that's different. And yet, in the midst of that, God is working, and he's calling us to be more and more reliant on and dependent on and shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit other than our good ideas or our plans or our abilities or our own strengths. One of the ways that I see that is how God is revealing his work, the way that he is working, even in and through Mosaic. As we look at our own church right now, and as our own church family, and as I look over the last year, year and a half, and see the, the moments where we've seen God at work, it's not come through any of our really, really good creative ideas. I don't even know that it's come through a lot of our hard work, as much as we're called to that. I think it's come more than anything else because he's decided to show up and work. And when we make ourselves available and say, God, use me, I'm available, I'm here, work through me, stretch me, call me to something I'm uncomfortable with, he ends up showing up and working. And the signs that he's doing that, I think are really clear. Some of the, the, my favorite stories of God at work over this last year is just simply him working in our city, not tied to us as a church in any way. One of these stories that we've celebrated this, this past year, and, and again, these are, these are baptism stories. These are people who have come out of the water and said, I'm a, I'm a resurrected follower of Jesus. I was crucified with Christ, and now I'm alive. We had a high school girl that, that decided to follow Jesus because the Holy Spirit got her attention and spoke to her in her bedroom, in her home. That's God working in our city beyond any plans that we could plan for. All we can do for that is pray. 
We sell it on, on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, at the 10, uh, 10 a.m. gathering in our building. Uh, we saw a, a young man uh, living in Portland, a young professional, who shared his testimony, read his testimony, and he found Mosaic in May of this past year, two months into the pandemic, as a result of him coming to faith in Jesus because a friend of his who lived on the other side of our nation had been in friendship with him and praying for him for 10 years. And the Holy Spirit finally moved him to that point where he says, I believe. And he says, I, I can't wait to tell the world about this. It's a beautiful story. And that's the Holy Spirit at work. That is God at work in our city. Happening nothing else because people are praying. A couple, uh, about a month and a half ago, but a couple when we did a, a baptism uh, opportunity in, uh, I think it was in February. And it was in a, uh, one evening, Sunday night in February, we get, gathered in our building and filled up the tank and, uh, and posted it on our, our website. And, and somebody showed up who we have no personal connection with. An empty nester couple who are going through a crisis in their life turned to God and th they came and showed up in our building and, God, and said, God told us to show up and, and be baptized tonight. That's God at work. That's, God is working in and around our city, in and through us, and it's not any of our creativity. It's not even our ideas. It's not even our methodology. It's not our strategy. It's God working. And so how is it that we can be more in tune with what God is working and calling us to? One thing that we're doing as a church, we started this year, and um, as we closed the books on, on 2020 and said, great, 2021 is here. How are we going to start? And we're going to have an opportunity, we know, in the coming months to be back in our building and to meet and gather again. And immediately started kind of coming up with ideas of what that could look like. And then we just put a pause on it and said, you know, we're just going to pray for six weeks. We're just going to pray and try to discern, God, what is it that you're calling us to? Rather than us jumping into something and designing something, how can you lead us and clearly tell us what's the next step to take? That's a stretch for us. We're growing in that way. I think that's a good thing. How do we remain Holy Spirit dependent and relying on him? Another thing that we're doing is finding ways to grow in prayer in every area of our church. We've asked our leaders in, uh, in January to begin saying, how is it that every part, every leadership team, every group of volunteers, every group, every ministry is, is seeking to incorporate a dependence on prayer in every area of the life of our church? Another thing that we're doing is we're just trying to resist and practice saying no to some of the old ways of being the church, of how we so easily busy ourselves with things that might be good but might not be where God is leading us to and calling us to. As I thought about this for, for each and every one of us as individuals, is how do we become more reliant on the Holy Spirit? I want to share and invite you to, to two ways to do this. Um, and the first is, uh, well, they're both, they're both, I think, very practical and tangible. Um, but the first is, is one of posture. Um, I, I have a friend who, who mentions... He mentioned it to me a, a couple months ago, um, and it's just such a simple thing. But he mentioned, um, I pray in the morning and in the evening, and I make a practice of getting on my knees. I, I get on my knees. I, I kneel down. And uh, I thought, that's, a, that's such a simple thing. I, I'm often a lot more comfortable when I pray sitting in my car driving without the radio on uh, in the morning after I've read scripture. Um, on Fridays, I have a particular practice of prayer that I do, and I'm sitting in the most comfortable chair in my house. And I've wondered, what does the posture of being on our knees communicate? First, it's, it's not a chosen position. It's one of, of submission. 
It's a little uncomfortable. Um, it doesn't feel the best. But I've chosen to submit myself to this. And even my body of my knees being on the ground communicates that there's somebody greater and more powerful than me that I'm relying on. So the first one is this, is what if we became a people, a resurrection people, and one of the ways that we look more like Jesus is that we're relying on the Holy Spirit simply by kneeling down. Maybe it's twice a day like my friend, maybe it's once a day, maybe it's once a week, but that we actually train our bodies to physically posture ourselves, that we're in reliance on the Holy Spirit, that we want the Holy Spirit to, to more direct us. That's a simple thing to do. The second thing is this, is that we, we have one name, and you can have more, but one name in front of us of a person that we know by name who does not know and follow Jesus, and that we consistently and regularly pray for them. When Jesus said, wait, don't step out, but wait for the Holy Spirit to show up, and the Spirit is going to come in power and then you're going to be my witnesses. The Spirit didn't come in power only to empower us to a life of holiness and goodness. For certain, the Holy Spirit is in us for that. But it's to be witnesses. And what would it be like for each and every one of us to be praying for one person who doesn't know Jesus by name? And so maybe you need a, a third step because you don't have somebody by name that you know who doesn't know Jesus. So I want to ask you to add a third, that you would begin asking Jesus to, to put you in contact. Nope, change that. Not that you would ask Jesus, that you would ask God to direct you of where to go to meet somebody who doesn't know the name of Jesus, who isn't following Jesus. Not that he would give you a name that would pop into your mind, but that you would actually have to go out. I love this, this, this quote by Emil Bruner. He's a Swiss theologian, died in the 60s. Um, but he says this, the church exists for mission in the same way that fire is for burning. That the church exists by mission, as same as fire does by burning. If a fire doesn't burn, it doesn't exist. This is just common sense, we get that. If a church isn't on mission, the church doesn't exist. And so we're called to that. We're called to have eyes and hearts for those that are around us that don't know Jesus. And what if we're each praying for somebody by name? That God would put us on our hearts, that hearts would break for them, that that we would ask the Holy Spirit not just to work in us, but to work in them as well. As we go through these next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at, at ways that Jesus demonstrated who he's calling us to be by the very way that he lived and how his life was in rhythm. We're going to look at rhythm next week. We're going to also look at what it means to be gentle, to be hospitable, to be generous, to be forgiving, to be ones who carry justice into our world, to settle the truth, but also to do it in grace and in love. God's calling us to be resurrection people, and to look more and more like him. So Jesus, we ask that you would do that in us. Holy Spirit, we want to be a people that are more and more reliant on you. Would you help us to do that? Would you reshape us and reform us to be more and more like you, to rely more and more on you, Holy Spirit, and to look more and more like you in this world, Jesus?